0: This is my Bible, I am what it says I am, I can have what it says I can have. Today, I'm ready to receive the incorruptible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. Come Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Come Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I'll never be the same again. Come on! In Jesus' name, amen. Now, your best shout ever. It's a good shout. John chapter 2, we'll start in verse 1. The next day, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby were six six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water, that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though, of course, the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then, when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed His glory, and His disciples believed in Him.
1: Shout of praise. Come on, you can do better than that. Give God a shout of praise. <laughs> you can be seated. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for being here. A couple of things before we dive into the teaching today. The QR code in your seat in front of you. Uh, the notes that are on the TV that come up on the TV are there, so they get loaded up by Monday. So this message's notes will be on there. Scan it, and it'll, I think about three links down, it'll say sermon notes. You can download them. I would encourage you to study deeper. I would encourage you to call some friends, invite them over, have coffee, continue to talk about Jesus on your 50 feet. So they're there. We've had a lot of people ask for them. Jesus said, "What is what we're talking about today?" I want to pull a scripture, and then. Go to what Ryan read. I hope it challenges you and I hope it blesses you today. I hope you go out stronger in your faith than when you came in. This is the words of Jesus in John chapter 16. I have told you, he said, this is him speaking, I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. How many of you believe that's a good thing? Especially when you fill up with gas, it's a good thing. Here on this earth, which is where you are right now, if you don't know, I just enlightened you. You will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart, I've overcome the world. This is the thought I want to talk to you about today, and I pray it strengthens you and helps you. What you think about Jesus, who he is, and what he says matters greatly, and here's the thought. If you follow him, you need to learn how to navigate the sorrows. I wish I could tell you the moment you get saved, you never have trouble. You never have a sorrow. I was raised, I, I won't say naive, but I probably was naive because I thought the moment you serve Jesus, everything goes well. You never have a problem or a sickness. Nobody ever does you wrong, stabs you in the back, talks about you. You never get a bad report. You never have to bury a friend. You never go through a divorce. You, nothing. You, you have Jesus, and he's all you need. And then there's the song, he's all I need. But being 57 years old and pastoring for 33 of those years, it's become pretty clear to me through experience and life and preaching Jesus that Jesus knew what he was talking about when he said, In the world there'll be trouble and there'll be sorrow. I wish right now there was none. He'll come and remedy that one day. But right now, I I don't think we would almost have to be blind to admit that there's sorrow in the world. We can see homeless people, wars, famines, all the stuff on Ukraine, the sorrows, people are displaced in their homes. But let's leave that over there and let's just come to 2981 Bomar Road. I would imagine everybody in this room has something you could label a sorrow. A marriage issue, a financial issue, a health issue, a child issue, a husband-wife issue, a sorrow I don't know. I mean, if you're here and you don't have one, I'd love you to write a book because you'd be a number one bestseller. I I would buy it. (laughs) I would buy it for sure. But even the number one bestseller, which is the Bible, the bestseller of all books, doesn't even lend that there won't be trouble. There's just sorrow. I don't wish it on anybody. I don't even wish it on my enemies. I don't like it myself. I don't enjoy it. But I felt like if I didn't talk about it, we can end up with some terrible theology when it does hit us. And here's something I've learned about it. I'm going to give you two more thoughts. Maybe I think one. I'm not real sure. But this is is the thought. I wrote this last night as I've been pondering this for quite a while. One thing is certain. Sorrows will expose what you believe about God. It, it, it really, what sorrow does is it goes to the core of who you really are. Yeah. And until we experience a troubled moment or a sorrow, you really don't know who you are. It identifies the weaknesses. It, it exposes the holes in what you believe. It challenges you. But not just that, to expose your weaknesses and the things that we all struggle with because we're human, right? And humans have emotions, and those emotions really can be God in our life at many times. But I do know this, at every point of sorrow, especially if you're a Christian and you claim faith in God, at every point of sorrow, it's going to expose what you genuinely believe about God. I I wish I would have kept, I don't keep notes when I counsel people. Sometimes I wish I would and other times I'm glad I don't, but... But it would be a a pretty high number. I would say countless, but that wouldn't be true. But a high, high, high number of how many people I've had to talk off the ledge because in a moment of sorrow, everything they believed about God was challenged and they just couldn't go on anymore. I just talked with a friend this week. He lives in Tennessee. I've known him for 34, 33 years. We've been dear friends. His name is Louie. It's a very dear friend of mine to this day. We talk once or twice a week, and we were just talking about life and talking about sorrows and things that go, and we were talking about a gentleman that was a pastor, and his name was Carter. He was a pastor and managed, uh, in a Baptist church, and I, things are going well, until one day Carter gets the news that his wife had multiple sclerosis, and, and he hit a moment of sorrow. I guess it would be no different than any of us hitting a moment of sorrow. Sometimes it's drastic like that. And other times it's very shallow. It's a red light that frustrates you. But, But not for Carter because when Carter got exposed to the sorrow, it really challenged what he believed about God. And what Carter believed about God is no good God would ever let my wife get multiple sclerosis. So Carter peaced out, got out of ministry, denied Jesus became an atheist and joined a and and runs a club and joined a club that basically is anti-god, anti-religion and anti-Jesus. So we can't pretend that sorrows don't go deep many times. They expose what we really believe. You would think a preacher preaching Jesus, 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 you don't want to go to hell or Jesus, 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 you need to get born again. When he suddenly that moment of sorrow hits personally. It exposes who we really are. It's one thing for me to stand up on Sunday and try to say something to inspire you from the Bible. It's quite another thing when Mark has to inspire himself to get through it. And that's kind of how I've tried to lead this house, is I've tried to lead it from my own experiences with Jesus living on this planet. So that every time I send up here, I pray that even though it may seem it's a message, that it's really just you getting to live in my brain as I follow Jesus and me downloading what I've learned and following Him and hoping that it will inspire you to do so. It's kind of what I do. But know this, whatever you are right now in your journey, it will expose what you believe. You just ask the wife who prayed her guts out that God would spare her marriage and her husband left her anyway. And watch how it will challenge what she believes about God. Or the person who has a disease and they get prayed over, over and over and over and over and over over again, but nothing ever changes. They never get any better. It will challenge what you believe about God. It will challenge, does He really answer prayer? Does He even like you? Does He even want to heal you? Uh, What if it's not His will? What if it is His will? And then we argue over all of that. But one thing we can know, and I think I could fight on the hill for a debate if we debated it, is this will happen. Whether you think he's a good God, or he's a judging God, or he's out to get you God, or he's just picks and chooses who he wants to help God, nevertheless, it will do so. Let's continue on. Here's this. This is what Ryan read. And this, I'm sharing this with you today because I do a Bible reading every night. My, my way I live, my life devotionally is at night when everybody's asleep, I I get out a Bible and I read one chapter, sometimes two, but 99% of the time it's just a chapter. That's my time to just say, God, talk to me and tell me what I need to know for me. And he does, and I journal every night. I've been doing that for seven years, and so I journal my thoughts and tell the girls what happened today so they can go back. Uh, When I pass this life, they can go back and see what Dad did. How awesome is that, right? You're welcome, girls. And... uh, (laughs) As Sophia said, like, really? Like, you're going to be dead and we have to go back and see what all you did? (laughs) But I said that to say that I often can notice that there will be times as I pray, God, what do you want me to read, that I'll feel the same thing again. And I'll be like, I thought I read that last night. But I do it anyway. I'll, I'll jot it down John 2 and I'll do it again. Sometimes I'll say John 2 again. And so I did it with this, and anytime that happens, I start asking, well, maybe there's something beyond the story. Maybe there's something beyond just the knowledge of this story that God wants me to get, and I need to hang on it a while. And so I've been hanging on this, and I thought I would share it with you. I appreciate Ryan reading it. But this story is the story of Jesus' first miracle, but I want to take it from the sorrow that preceded the miracle. Because what I've noticed on one side of life, there is the admission to the sorrow, the need, the trouble at hand, the thing that's irritating, the frustration. And then long through the day, there's the other side, which was, oh wow, a miracle happened. And I found in my early years that I did not want there to be any length of time between the trouble, the sorrow, and the need, and the, oh wow, that happened. I like oh, wow, that happened the moment you prayed for me. I think everybody in the room would like that because we're human. We like, oh, wow, that happened. It's why if you go to Starbucks and the line is too long, it's like, because we like, oh, wow, that happened that fast. But what we learn from this story is, though, th- though this will all play out in a less than a 24-hour period, what we do know from the Bible it's not every prayer is answered in 24 hours and not every miracle happens instantaneously. And it's in that never-happening-instantaneously moment, that time, that those hours of your life, those months of your life, those years of your life, where everything you believe, if it waits too long, will start challenging the God you serve. So let's jump into it. The next day... Oh, go back, sorry. Go, yep. The next day, there was a wedding celebration. It was in the village of Cana in Galilee, and Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. And then the wine supply ran out. I highlighted, I highlighted next day celebration ran out because that's about how roller coaster of a ride life is. The next day, It's a celebration! Two hours later, oh God, we're out. I call it the gut punches, the things you didn't expect. The phone call you didn't want. The the papers that were served you. The school that called you. The husband that finally downloaded what he was doing. It's the the gut punch. It's the suddenly the supply runs out. The joy's gone. The money's gone. The happiness is gone. The wedding that you so both loved at this moment... 10 years later, it's gone. The supply runs out. It's a funeral. It's, I wasn't planning on burying them. It's, I'm leaving you for someone else. It's a peace out. I appreciate the life together. But it's that moment where you're, most of us strive to live the celebrations. And that's good. Most of us strive. It's a good day. This is the day the Lord has made. God is a good God, and He's a good God. But we don't often do well when there's something that catches us by surprise. The supply ran out. Here's what's interesting. It's such a casual couple of verses that it makes me just stop. And I've done this all week. Like whose fault was it? Like you didn't know there was a wedding? What idiot planned the wedding? The master of the ceremony, it's your daughter's wedding. If, you, if you're a theologian and you want to study it historically, they believed that this was one of Jesus' brothers that was getting married. That's why they were all there. That's why the story was saying he and his brothers left. So at best, I don't know, I'm not a theologian historically, but at best, this, this wedding is a family wedding. The master of the ceremony, and I'm speaking from experience, I've married off two daughters. Mm, come on, somebody. For those of you that didn't want to donate to the camera, you can donate to me for another wedding. Mm, Come on. (laughs) I could not imagine my sweet bride asking me to to make sure that everything in the wedding is taken care of, and we get about three quarters of the way through, and I go, "Uh, We're out of shrimp. What do you mean we're out of shrimp? I thought I told you there were 200 people coming in, and you didn't. Right? So whose fault was it? Because one thing about humans is we like to figure out who's to blame. It's gotta be somebody's fault. Is it the guy? Maybe maybe he wasn't planning on so many people coming, and a lot of people crashed the wedding. Like, Dude, I didn't invite them. Who are these? I don't know. Maybe it was their fault. Maybe a lot of the people here, since it's in Galilee, and Galilee was the redneck hub of the area. Maybe everybody there just drinks a little much. All right, all right everybody coming to the gets two paps Blue Ribbons. No more. They're all redneck. They do about nine paps. So maybe, maybe they just got a lot of people that like to drink a lot. Why are they out? Whose fault is it? Did you not have enough money? Did you, not, did you invite too many people? Are people drinking too much? Is somebody not managing this wedding? Should you fire the coordinator of the wedding that they didn't plan ahead? Prior planning does prevent poor performance. Did you not know? And I've noticed this when trouble hits, we always want to blame somebody. And Christians are pros at it. Because we will blame, we start here. Oh, the devil's just out to get me. The devil's out to get me. Oh, higher, higher levels, bigger devils. And then when you suddenly, somebody challenges you if the devil's that powerful. Well, it's maybe not the devil, it's just God, God, just maybe He's mad at me. Maybe God, and if you can't blame God, it's that church. It's those Christian people. I just can't even go to church. I don't even like Christians. It's always the preacher. It's the elders. It's the deacons. It's the hypocrites in the church. We're always looking for somebody because when trouble hits, whose fault is it? What what, what is the real issue here? When your marriage divorced, whose fault was it? Because really what we're looking at is we're looking at the papers. Here's the divorce. That's the fruit of the problem. But long before the papers, there was the root that was brewing. Long before the trouble hit, there was the root of what you believed about God before the fruit ever challenged it. And this is what I've come to believe to help you navigate through to understand the sorrows. Here's the thought. I put the word "navigate" at the top to help us learn how to not get stuck in the sorrow. The goal of life is not to get stuck there. The goal of life is to keep moving forward. But often believers suffer unduly because they under, they are understand they yeah I, that's uh, <laughs> did I not go to my office and say I got to go redo a slide. What? I have no clue what I was doing. That so irritates me. I'll get over it. For when trouble and sorrow hit. (laughs) Boys and girls, I want to teach you a lesson. Often believers suffer because they are understanding the fruit and not remedy the root. I have no clue what I just said. No clue. Derek will fix it, okay? So I, I get a second run at 11.15. Oftentimes, believers suffer unduly because they, it should be don't, they don't understand the fruit or they're trying to understand the fruit and they don't remedy the root. They're looking at the fruit, not the root of the problem. Just forget all the color, just look at the bottom. I'm still trying to go, what in God's name was I saying? You got to define the problem. You got to define the problem. Because the real root of the problem is they're out of wine. It doesn't matter whose fault it is, they're out of wine. And a lot of people are always wanting to fix the fruit but never go to the root of the problem. The reason you got a divorce is you married a jerk. And nobody wanted to tell you you married a jerk. And when they tried, you didn't believe them. And then nobody ever stopped his jerkiness. And so after a while, you divorce. But the root of the divorce is not the problem. The root of divorce was somebody was a jerk. The root of the problem is not that you have hardening of the arteries. That's the fruit of the problem. The root of the problem is you've been eating bacon, eggs, and cheese for 42 years. So there is an issue where when it comes to God... I want God to fix all the fruit, but I don't want Him to challenge the root of the problem. I want Him to just fix the marriage, but I don't want Him to touch the things that would make it better. So we suffer unduly. We we, we go through the trouble even longer because nobody wants to stand up and go, Well, here, let me put my finger, this is the real root of the problem. And when the real root of the problem is found, you can really press forward better because you really know what you're up against. I find oftentimes in talking with people that it, the frustrations are dealt with the fruit and then when you kind of work your way down, you finally come to this, what I call in the book I wrote, I call it the drip, the thing that's really the issue. So when a problem hits a believer, when a sorrow hits a believer, what it does is it touches the root of what you really think about God. And when all your life God is good, all the time, all the time, God is good. And then suddenly the supply runs out and that God is good all the time is challenged because I know he's good but it doesn't feel like he's good right now. So do, is that even true? Was that just a saying? Is it just a t-shirt? What is it? I don't know. And it starts challenging what it does. The whole point of this thought is a sorrow will challenge the root of what you believe about God. And will you stay in the game with him, or will you get out? Let's read on. It gets better. The next day, there was a wedding celebration. Same verse, but I highlighted some things in blue. A wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee, but Jesus' mother was there, so Jesus' mother told him they have no more wine. You see, sometimes it takes somebody in the room willing to say, I can do something about this. Some people don't even know that there's sorrow at hand. Some people are living blindly their lives. Some people don't even have a clue what's going on behind closed doors. Most people at the wedding did not even know what was going on behind closed doors. Half of them are probably kind of a little drunk, crunk up. Half of them are just enjoying a wedding. nobody It's, it's the people in the kitchen that are like, dude. Which makes me think Mary was in the kitchen serving it up because she's the one that noticed we're out. And that's not going to make him happy But what I've noticed about sorrow, rather than dwelling on the problem and just the root of the problem, here's the thought of that, of what his mother did, and it challenges me to do it. Often believers just lose hope and they quit pressing forward. They just want to acknowledge the problem. They lose hope. They've prayed too many times. They've... Been to the altar, they go to church, but nothing's changed. They do give an offering, but they've got no money back, whatever it would be. They did pray for their husband, but he didn't come back. They did pray that their wife would be healed, but she died anyway. They did pray for their child, but they still went wayward. They did pray for their kid, but they still died. They did whatever it would be. I did pray that the report the doctor had would come back positive. It came back negative And now I'm facing this huge tragedy of a moment in my life, this crisis moment in my life. And what I've noticed about sorrow, if you want to know how powerful sorrow is, the first thing it will do is rob you of hope. It's called statistics. It's the first thing we do when we Google how many people got through this problem, how many people have gone through a divorce, how many people have the same issue that I have. And it erodes away at the hope. Because one thing we know from the acknowledgement of the sorrow to the miracle, the process in between of time where we're waiting on this thing to happen versus what the real need is, there's this process of time where if you're not careful, you lose hope. You just want to throw in the towel. You just want to quit. You just want to give up. I have found myself here. I hate to admit it, but it's just true. I have found myself there many times on the brink of just losing hope, just like... God, when, when are you? When it, typically, hope is connected to when. When are you going to answer this prayer? When are you going to fix this need? When are you going to heal this problem? And even now, conversations I've had, when are you going to come back? But you've got to maintain hope. I wrote this phrase in pink because I've tried to live by it and I've tried to inspire other people. If you're breathing, there's always hope. As long as you're sucking an air in and blowing an air out, you better believe there's hope. It ain't over till you breathe your last breath, and then the moment you breathe your last breath, you're immediately in eternity. It doesn't even end then. You're in the blessed hope then. So if you've lost hope, let me inspire you. It's not over. I prayed a thousand prayers. I don't care. Pray a thousand and one. You still breathing? Keep praying. Well, I've been given. I don't care. Keep giving to people. Help people. Bless people. Just keep on pressing on. Keep on keeping on. Don't, don't give up. Hope. You can't even have faith without hope. For now, faith is a substance of things hoped for. So the devil knows if I can rob you of hope, you'll never even be a person of faith. Your child does something that breaks your heart. Your spouse does something that wounds you. Your church does something and so we just get hopeless. We, we feel hopeless that our children are running off into la-la land in my marriage and then church, just factor in church. We get hopeless. I don't even want to go to church. I've been there. I've been to every church. Every church is just the same. All the preachers are just the same. It's just all the same. It's everything. We lose hope. It's why the American political process works so brilliantly is that every four years they offer you a carrot of hope. To enlighten you, it never changes. It's just a carrot of hope. That's all it is a carrot of hope to keep you thinking and thinking and thinking. And oftentimes, we have to understand that if we're going to make it through the hard times, we've got to maintain hope. Versus, peace out. They out of wine. I'm out of here. It's the only reason I came anyway. Get me a piece of cake before I leave. Have they cut the cake yet? Because when you, when you find sorrow, you get irritated, you get bitter, you lose hope, you get critical, you get cynical. And you, you're all those words, but you're not hopeful. It never works. When it rains, it pours. If it wasn't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. And I have found that this many times is a hard thing for people to get over, is to stay hopeful when things don't seem very hopeful. It almost seems like a trick, but it's not. I'll tell you why at the end. Let's go on and read. It gets even better. Dear woman, I'd preach on women today, but I think I'll wait. <laughs> but you better know Jesus knew what a woman was. I wish he was running for Supreme Court. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. I'm just going to hold on to this a minute. This irritates the hound out of me. So I'm in the kitchen working my hind end off to help his dad blame wet and go better. And I come to you and tell you they don't have wine. And you call me woman? (laughs) Sit down a minute, boy. I am your mother. Don't you ever speak to me in that tone of voice Again, I don't care how old a child gets, mother is mother. I was talking to my mother the other day and we were talking about a crisis going on with preachers and I'm 57, my mother's 83. Her exact words to me, exact words. Well, if that would have been you, I would have got in my car and come over to that house and told you, straighten yourself up, young man what oh mama's always mama it don't matter if you're 57 and, head, and heading to church up she don't care she's not scared of anybody so can you imagine when her son says dear woman that ain't my problem well I'm about to make it your problem it's about to become your problem because I birthed you. I didn't even want you, and an angel showed up and made me take you. <laughs> and you run to good honeymoon because I had it planned, but no, now I'm pregnant. Joseph can't even have sex with me because of you. <laughs> Come on now, you just better thank God Mary wasn't a redneck. You better thank God she was Catholic. <laughs> Oh, come on, moms, would that not tick you off? Hey, I just need you to get up there and clean your room. Dear woman, that ain't my problem. <laughs> so let's don't act too godly here. Let's don't, I, I just wish I'd have been there in this moment. Jesus replied, My time has not yet come. So I wrote this down. Here's the thought. Often believers get bitter at God because they don't get the answer they want in the time they want. You ever felt like God doesn't even know your name? You've been begging and pleading, you don't even get an answer, you don't even feel goosebumps. Everybody else got it. Everybody else went to the altar and got prayed over. The elders, everybody got healed but you. Now you're bitter. Bitter at God because you did pray. Preacher told you to pray. You did. Nothing happened. Evangelist on TV said if I sent him $1,000, I'd get some holy water and a miracle. I did. All I got was credit card debt. I'm mad at God. Bitter at God. I cannot tell you how many Christians are bitter now because God's not on their timetable. And they're ticked at him. They won't tell you that because they don't want to burn in hell. But in, internally, <laughs> internally, they're upset that he didn't come through. He didn't jump through the hoops. He didn't perform up to their expectations. Because really, he's not God. I, I'm God. I want him to serve me. I don't serve him. He serves me. So when I bark an order, I expect him to do something. And when he doesn't and he calls you dear woman, you kind of have this moment to get bitter because how could you not know my name? How could you not remember all the good things I've done for you? I nursed you. I held you. I took you to school. I bought your first donkey when your daddy said no. (laughs) Because when sorrow comes, we do throw to the table. But I've always gone to church. I've always been good. Now you let this happen to me? Well, what good does it do to pray anyway? Because I've been praying and this hell hit me. Well, what good does it do to be a Christian? Because I have been a Christian and I can't believe that any Christian would have to go through this so he's just probably out in, You're mad now. Dear woman, it's not my time. So what we understand in sorrow, sometimes it'll feel like God doesn't even know your name and sometimes it'll feel like he doesn't even care and sometimes he feels like he's not even on your timetable. And if you're not careful you will believe that he doesn't care and he's not going to come through for you and that he doesn't even know your name and you'll get bitter at him and you'll quit. You can't quit. You have to let your faith override your frustrations. And dear God, I've been frustrated and you better hope you don't, if you don't grab faith, frustration will win every time. I don't know why. I, I wish I did. I, there's several questions in my comments people. You know, the, what are you going to ask when you get up there? I'm, I've got several that I would just love to know. Probably won't matter once you're there. But, but one of them would be, why doesn't God do it in the time I want Him to do it? I would just so help me be a stronger Christian. So are you frustrated today? Are you ticked off at Him? Are you mad at preachers and churches? you mad that God doesn't do it the way you want it done? He's not answering the prayer in the time you need it. You're losing a little hope. You're bitter at Him now. Then this is all for you. Hang on there. It's going to get better. Here we go. But his mother told the servants, Oh God, I love her. I love her. No wonder Catholics pray to her. <laughs> I heard a guy one time, he said, Hey, why, why do you believe in praying to Mary? He said, One thing I know, man, a mama can always get something done. <laughs> I go straight to the mama instead of the boy, right? Oh, okay, I get you. She just said, Do whatever he tells you to do. She didn't get bitter. She didn't say, why didn't you call me Mary? Is there something going on I need to know about? Are you mad at me? Have I hurt your feelings? So you don't even think I'm a good mother? No. She just simply said, here's the root of the problem. I'm your mother. I know the power that's within you. Do something about it. Well, it's not my time. She didn't even comment. She goes, hey, they're out of wine. I just thought you ought to know that. Dear woman, it ain't my time and not my problem. Hey, listen, whatever he tells you to do, do it. (laughs) What? Whatever he tells you to do, you mean you have no rules for him? Because a lot of times in my sorrow, I got rules. I need you to jump through these five hoops I've set up for you to remedy my problem. Here's the five hoops, jump through them and remedy the problem. No, I could be bitter at you right now. Just do whatever he tells you to do. Well, what's he going to tell Tell me to do? Dude, I ain't got a clue he's going to tell you, but do it and I'm out of here. Bye. Y'all got the kitchen. So standing nearby were six water jars used for Jewish ceremony washing. Each could hold about 20 to 30 gallons. That's, that's why I tell you they were rednecks. That's a lot of booze. That is a lot of booze. 30 gallons times 6 jars. That is 180 gallons. Come on, somebody. (laughs) I was in high school and went to a party where they had hunch-punch in a 50-garrel barrel. barrel. 50 gallons of hunch-punch for high school kids. A hundred and eighty gallons. Well, that was Jesus, and it wasn't a real wine. It was just grape juice. (laughs) I'm just telling you, these people would get crunk, and they were having a party. And I almost think Jesus, almost, this is just my opinion, but I'm in the story and I'm just, I'm almost think he just went, oh, mom, my first wedding, you're going to make me do a miracle right here with everybody? Well, I'll do you a miracle. You want a miracle? I'll give you the best miracle you ever, you think they're out of wine? I'll give you some wine. I'll give you more wine than you've ever worn in your life. I'm going to give you 180 gallons of wine. How you like that, mama? I don't know if he said that because it's Jesus but I guarantee you when he rolled up his sleeves and he's like, I'm about to blow mom's mind. (laughs) Do whatever he tells you to do. Okay, what do you want me to do? Okay, hey, I want you to fill up jars with water. Dude, that's stupid. Why? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Why do you want me to do that? Oh, and after you fill them up with water, I need you to just get some out. Why? We're, dude, we're not, we're not out of water. We have plenty of water. We're out of wine. What, what are you even talking about? Fill it up with water. He's going to be ticked. If, if I take the vats of wine and put water in, it's going to water down the vats. He's going to be mad at me. And then you want me to take the water. What do you want me to do with the water? <laughs> do with the water? Well, I just want you to go take it to him. Oh, no, dude, I'll get fired. Ain't no way. I'm going to look stupid. Do you know how embarrassing it's going to be for me to walk up to the master of the ceremony? I've got some water, wine, I don't know, oh God. (laughs) Because the story never tells us at what point the water turned into the wine. If, if the water turned into the wine right in the vat, it's an easy deal. Oh, oh, God, Oh, let me be the one to take it. I want to take it. Let me take it to him. Oh, God, he's going to be blown away when I do this. I just don't think it went down that way. I just don't think that's how God rolls. I think the water goes in. And he goes, dip it out. Dip some of it out. Dip some of it. Some of what? Some of the water. So dips the water out. Okay, what do you want to do with it? I want you to take that water to that dude sitting right over there and give it to him. Are you sure? Are you positive? Do you even know what you're... Okay, okay, you take the water. let take the water. i take the water to it. Are you positive? This is water. It's water. It is water. It's not wine. It's water. Show you what your mother said? <laughs> Walks over and hands it to him. Followed his instructions. Here's the thought. Often believers want pity rather than instruction. They want God to feel sorry for them rather than requiring something of them. I don't want God to require something of me. I want Him to have pity. I want Him. I want Him to do the magic, Him to pick up the magic, Him to take the magic. I want Jesus to do it all. I don't want any responsibility on me. I don't want any requirements on me. I don't want him to ask anything of me. I just want to go tell him the problem. I want him to fix the problem without me doing a thing. And I tell you that's why most miracles never happen when we pray. Is we pray and want him to do it all and I don't want him to ask anything out of me. So the question becomes, this is weird, who was the miracle then? Was the miracle that water went in and water came out? Was it the miracle of the guy carrying it? I mean, what's the real miracle here? Or was it mother telling there's a problem? Mother said there was a problem. Is that the miracle that somebody has to acknowledge the problem? Is the miracle that she knew who to ask? Is the miracle that there was water? Where is the miracle here? So here's what we find out. Are you you willing to do whatever it takes? Because most of us just want to be already at the moment of the miracle. So if it goes bad, it ain't my fault. Not my fault. I don't want to be part of the process. I don't want to do whatever it takes. I just want God to feel sorry for me and fix it all. Here's the conclusion. When the master of the ceremony tasted... See, I don't even know if the water turned into wine while he's walking. I don't even know if the water turned into wine while he's holding it. But the moment the water touched his tongue, it tasted like wine. And he's like, dude, you guys brought it. The best stuff I've ever had in my life. And most Christians never get to the best stuff God has for you. Because they're not willing to work the process. They're not willing. They just want the miraculous sign. They just want Jesus to do the miraculous sign. But I don't want Jesus to require the process. It hurts too much. It's too risky. It's embarrassing. I've been prayed over ten times. I don't need to have eleven. It's embarrassing. And this is the fault. Often believers are looking for the miracle in the moment, but it's the entire process of faith that's the miracle. We often say the miracle is when Ryan tasted it and it became wine. But the miracle was somebody had to say there's a problem. The miracle was somebody had to know what to do about it. The miracle was somebody had to put water in. The miracle was somebody had to tote the water. The miracle was somebody had to be willing to get into the process of what God wants to do on planet Earth when there's sorrows around. Are you willing to get in the way of the process or are you just going to stand in the way of God? Are you willing to say, God, I want to be part of what you want to do, but use me. It may be embarrassing. I may have to cry it out. I'll do whatever it takes, God. So here's the conclusion and then the scripture will end. i won't go through these quickly because this is just to wrap it up for you. Define the root, stir the hope, build faith, do whatever it takes. Work the process. Why? Why would I say this? Here's why. Back to this first scripture we started with. Have I told you all this so that you may have peace? Here on earth you'll have sorrows, but I highlighted it different now. But take heart, I've overcome. I don't know when you're going to overcome. I don't know when you're going to be revived. I don't know when the Lord will revive you, but if you'll hang in there, He'll revive you. Would you stand up with me if you will?